Welcome to the Fighting for Joy podcast. I'm your host, Jody Blick. Well, guess what? My husband, Eric, is back for another episode. Hey, Eric. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Great. The people have spoken. They love when you are on. And I've already mentioned I have a number of other episodes already ready that um, I've recorded with other guests, but I want to keep filling in the season with occasional conversations with you. Um, I feel like these these episodes have been a lot of fun to do together, and now as empty nesters, we have time to talk through. Oh, we've through, got time, uh, girlfriend. Yeah. we got time. Lots of time to talk through more things and just continue to process stuff with each other, which leads us to wanting to do more recording together. It does. So I'm really excited about today's topic. I know you are too. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. This yeah. is a pretty important topic. Yeah. Well, let's get started. So back on season three, which was almost two years ago, I had my cousin Sarah Waddell on the podcast to talk about her struggle with perfectionism. And that episode got really good feedback. It is something that haunts a lot of people. And I say haunt because that's what we have learned. Perfectionism, um, true perfectionism does to a person. And instead of helping someone to step up their game or do things better or become more successful, oftentimes it actually leads to a very frustrating and discontented life. So I thought I would start by reading some of what I wrote um, as the episode description for Sarah's episode, which is episode 35, if you want to go back and listen to that. But this is what I wrote to kind of get us started. Perfectionism. What comes to mind when you hear that word? For many people, trying to attain perfection here in this broken world leads to despair, extreme frustration, debilitating doubt, never feeling good enough, and constant comparison with others, which leads to a deep discontentment that permeates the soul. It can almost feel maddening, like carrying around a weight that is absolutely crushing. Yet our culture can tend to glamorize it. Think of the Lexus car commercial promoting the pursuit of perfection. Sometimes we wonder if our life would be better if we had more perfectionistic tendencies. And to be honest, many perfectionists do accomplish a lot, but at what cost? That's the question that my guest today ended up asking herself after years of trying to accept nothing less than quote-unquote perfection in her life. These tendencies can be so harmful and damaging when they take over a life. Perfectionism robs us of peace, freedom, contentment, and joy. Instead, there is so much joy to be found when we rest in Christ's work, not our own. Knowing that we are not accepted and loved by God because we do everything perfectly and never fail, but because as believers, Christ's righteousness counts for us. And we know that the Holy Spirit is producing good fruit in us that delights God. We don't have to earn his love or his salvation. We don't have to seek the love and approval of others to find our value in doing things better than those around us. This is freeing and joy-producing. So that's a summary of the conversation that I had with Sarah and a quick explanation of how we are looking at perfectionism. And like I said, it received a lot of feedback as she was able to put into words a lot of what people have been feeling and experiencing. So now to you, Eric, um, the topic of perfectionism has been one that we have been having together for 30 years because it has played a huge role in your life um, negatively for so many years and now positively as you have made so much headway and really live differently, fighting these tendencies and experiencing so much more rest and peace and joy. And so because of that, and because of all that I've heard you process and learn and really beautifully live out, um, I wanted to have you on today as a follow-up to Sarah's episode. There are definitely some general themes in perfectionism that can be seen in the lives of those who struggle with this, but 
it's also a deeply personal journey and an individual struggle struggle that it does look different for each person. So it's the same topic, but by having another conversation about it, I know we will touch on different things, which will give my listeners more insight and hopefully more help and encouragement for those who want to fight these tendencies in their lives. So because uh, we have spent hours talking through this together, I'm going to do something different on this episode. I'm just going to have you talk and share, and I just want to listen. And I really haven't prepared any notes. I'm not planning on sharing much here beyond this introduction. I've asked you to use this episode and this time together to almost teach us, to to teach my listeners what you have learned. Um, You can start with maybe defining perfectionism, what it's looked like in your life, how you've made progress, and just how you have fought for joy through it all. So unless you have any other Amen. opening thoughts or comments, I am, I'm all ready here to just hand That's the mic great. over to you. That's great. Well, I do want you to interact quite a bit. So if I go off, off the rails <laughs> or if yeah. I say something that Cut you off uh, or, is really good yeah, okay. or not really good, yeah. um, please um, jump in. I would say that I didn't even know what this was 33 years ago when I met you. Mm-hmm. And so you you had mentioned 30, you know, 30 years of us doing this on the uh, same path, which has been super helpful. But I don't think I even knew what the term was. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yet I knew something was broken because I worked so hard in high school and would have periods of time when I just would get sick for weeks on end or not necessarily like sick, sick, but just exhausted mm-hmm. for weeks on end and mm-hmm. miss school and miss workouts and practices. And I got to college and I was on my own and I felt like, well, this is different. I'm actually making headway now. And ironically, I think I was, but it wasn't until we got married that I really started to put words to this and make huge leaps forward. Mm -hmm. And then the other major step is about 2002, the bank hired a management consultant named Ken Wright. And, and we, we both got to work with him Mm -hmm. one-on-one, which Mm -hmm. was fascinating on a lot of levels, Mm -hmm. but he came in and he would meet with certain people at the bank in certain roles. And he diagnosed probably two thirds, I'm guessing, of the people that he met with as perfectionists. And I remember some people at the bank being like, you know, the guy's whacked, you're a perfectionist too. Oh, look, you have the same book. (laughs) Um, And it didn't resonate with a lot of people, but that was when I think the Lord caused me to just vault ahead miles, leaps and bounds down the path Mm -hmm. because Ken Wright was right on the money. Even in 2002, years after college, years after we had been married, I still had a lot of growing to do on this. And so really what I would love to kind of share through is three main points. Um, Answer very simply, number one, what is perfectionism? Number two, why do we care and why do we need to get some headway on this? I didn't think it was bad. Mm -hmm. Um, So why, why does it matter? And then... Point, point number three is really, how do you make headway in it? How do you make headway from the bondage that when it's bad, it's bad, mm-hmm. and it can really hold you back? So how do you make headway? And that's really where this fighting for joy 
comes in? Like, how, like, what do you use? How do you know? How do you think about things and promises and truths that can really free you up to make headway on what could be and has been a problem for so many people? And if Ken Wright is right, and I know he is, <laughs> um, it's holding back a lot of people and a lot of professional jobs in a lot of jobs all over the world, professional or any level of job. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just, I, this has been a very painful journey. This has been a very, what you're gonna hear today is very honest um, and it's not really pretty, but that I think is part of the growth out of this too, is mm -hmm. that we are human and um, that's when we can admit that <laughs> and wrestle with that mm -hmm. and we'll talk about that. Um, that's, that's when you can make some, some headway on it. So what you're going to hear is not, um, fully polished. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. Um, but those are the three things that I wanted to kind of share and talk about. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. And I do think just as your friend and as your wife, I would say that it has been one of the biggest hindrances in your fight for joy. So the it headway has you has made, you have made has brought so much joy into your life and into um, our marriage and our family. And I think, you know, it's interesting that you say it didn't resonate with everybody when, um, when Ken Wright uh, kind of, you know, shared that with a number of people. But I think it, it reminds me of my episode with Dwight when he was saying that, you know, you kind of have to get to a, pl to a place um, in addiction of it's so bad that you are willing yeah. to surrender right. and, um, and look for help. And I, and it reminds me of that too, because I think, you know, listening to you share about how exhausted you were, how tired you were, you're getting sick. I mean, you were at a place when you were ready, you were, it, was, was it had gotten hard enough and, um, you know, hearing this wasn't uh, devastating as it was for some of the other people at the bank. It was actually very hopeful for you because you could start to see a path out. And I just feel like God got you ready to receive that kind of quote unquote diagnosis, um, you know, or just kind of learn more about it because you were so exhausted and ready for um, for some making some yeah. headway. Yeah. 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 So, OK, we'll dive in. So I think one of the questions to start with on what is perfectionism is uh, what are some of the telltale signs that you might be a perfectionist? Mm -hmm. um, and what's interesting is you don't have to score on all 15 or 20 of these. You can Google them. You can look at them. Mm -hmm. They all resonated with me. I don't score off the chart on all of these, but these, if, if you have some of these where you're like, yeah, scale of one to five, I'm probably a five on this one. Uh, or this one's a one, I'm a two on this one. Um, that's, that's the point. You are not perfect. <laughs> I'm not perfect. <laughs> You're not going to score all fives on the perfectionistic scale uh, on all these different telltale signs. But think about your own life and think about how some of these resonate with, with you. Uh, number one, you have an all or nothing approach. You mm -hmm. either do it well or you don't do it at all. Mm -hmm. It's all about the results mistakes are for the weak. You're your own worst critic. Mm. You have an inner critic that will never shut up mm. and it's not kind to you. Success never feels good enough. Mm. You procrastinate. That's a very tell telltale sign. Um, you avoid things. You sacrifice yourself for perfection. You have this all or nothing mindset. You've got standards that are too high. The perfectionist is always overcritical, not just of yourself, but of others. 
Um, the perfectionist usually confuses perfection with quality. The perfectionist only focuses on the results. The scoreboard is the only thing that matters. Hmm. And that's the main thing that matters. Um, you're, you get discouraged when you're not achieving goals. Hmm. The perfectionist is driven by fear. So those are some of the ones that pop if you do a quick Google search and those are pretty powerful and I do find myself and I even found myself in college that was before Google. Whoa, hey, <laughs> hey, uh, that I, if, if I would have Googled that, I'd be like, huh, I bet that's the word that hmm. I need to make some, some headway on. Mm -hmm. um, here's, a, here's a couple other ones. You're, you're stuck um, in this give up or try harder cycle. You, hmm. you try harder, you try harder, you try harder, you still don't achieve what you think you can achieve, and then you just burn out. Long periods of burnout, you're not able to function consistently at a normal level over time. Mm -hmm. Here's the one from the Ken Wright book that uh, really hit us between the eyes is that a perfectionist must have something completed or they must win in order to be somebody versus it's good to win. There's a, I have to win in order to have purpose or it's good to win and that's a little bit of tie back to the uh, scoreboard. Hmm. Um, here's, here's another one. I must do more to be more. And so perfectionists have a hard time relaxing and just doing nothing. Hmm. Um, you never get through your to-do list or your task list. And you maybe not even get through half of it. That might be another telltale sign that you're hmm. a perfectionist as well. Um, perfectionists usually believe uh, false things. Here's one false thing that most perfectionists believe. If I don't at least push for perfection, then I'll just be complacent and I'll have mediocre work. Hmm. Another false belief is though I never arrive at perfection, man, I'll get so much further if I just keep shooting at it. Another false belief um, is the job worth doing is a job worth doing well. Otherwise I ain't doing it at all. Um, and so that's the tie back to procrastination. Hmm. Um, so much so that perfectionists are paralyzed sometimes even to start a project, even to get something going, even to get something drafted, um, even to just, um, start. Um, and, and that's where the procrastination comes in because you, you, uh, what you have in your mind's eye, you just, I'm never going to be able to do that. So why would I even start? You don't believe the freedom in being able to believe and say it's done and it's better than perfect. So done is better than perfect. That's not something that resonates with somebody that's a perfectionist. Um, perfectionists live with their own inner critic. It's loud. It's harsh, like I've said. And so those are those are some of the telltale signs. And man, I was in I was in most all of those at a deeper level. Some, like I said, were only ones and twos and sums were, some of them were at, at, at least five. Hmm. Um, I think when you look at the definition of this in psychology, perfectionism is a broad personality style characterized by a person's concern with striving for flawlessness and perfection and is accompanied by critical self-evaluations and concerns regarding others' evaluations. 
Perfectionism drives people to be concerned with achieving unattainable ideals or unrealistic goals that may often lead to many forms or adjustment problems such as depression and anxiety and OCD and OCPD and low self-esteem. And so those are, that's kind of the clinical or probably more clinical definition of what perfectionism is. And those are just a bunch of telltale signs that I think give it away to us when we're starting to be pretty high on the perfectionistic scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that is such a great list, both the list of, you know, the signs. And if you see these things, uh, you may struggle with perfectionism as well as the false beliefs um, that you would fall into then. And, you know, as you were going through all of that, I heard the word critic, critical, yes. inner critic. Um, so that that is a key part of this whole thing, too. And I think if somebody is listening and maybe they aren't seeing these signs in their life, but I think we all know what it feels like to be with somebody who is critical. Um, you hear them being critical of themselves. You see them um, just kind of being yeah. defeated and feeling this inner critic um, taking over their life, but also just being critical of those around you. Like you said, it's an inner critic. It's a it's being critical of yourself, but it's also, it does overflow into a, a criticism of others. Um, you may not say it, you may just think it, but um, the important thing I guess I want to say is it doesn't just affect the person struggling with the perfectionism. When you are struggling with this, it affects everyone around you as well, even though you may not have to even say some of the things you're thinking. I, I know I'm a big feeler and I can feel when people are critical of right. me or looking at right. me in a critical way. And so, um, so it's a good list to look through both, yeah. you know, as you're trying to look at yourself and evaluate maybe some signs in your own life, as well as maybe thinking about people in your life who, who may be struggling with this. Trying to define what perfectionism is. I think it's helpful when you ask the question, what's the opposite of it? Mm -hmm. That's always helpful, yeah. And if you talk to anybody on the street, you talk to your friends and be like, okay, tell me what comes to mind when you say perfectionism and what's the opposite of that? <laughs> and I think in doing this experiment with other people at the bank and other spots, I'm sure, the most common answer is mediocre work. If I'm not a perfectionist, if I'm not striving for perfection, then I'm just average. Yeah, or you just don't care. I mean, and I, I just, just don't, don't care. care. It's just, I don't know. It's good enough. It's yep. fine. Yeah. Yep. And it's subpar work mm -hmm. and it's um, maybe bottom quartile. Mm -hmm. um, I, I hear people think in terms of that, um, those, those terms. But here's the ironic part, and here's where Ken Wright just really hit me between the eyes. He said, Eric, you want to know what the opposite of perfectionism is? It's achievement. Hmm. And I'm like, no way that can be true. I don't, that doesn't make sense. I don't get it. And he's like, Eric, you're too focused on the scoreboard. You can't be like Michael Jordan to just relax and take the next shot. Who cares if it's the game winning you know, point or not? It doesn't matter. It's just another shot for him. And that's why he can make it and you can't. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I think that is going to cramp people's brain. It is. <laughs> the think opposite about of perfectionism is actually achievement. And mm -hmm. so what I, the way we talk about it at the bank that's been super helpful, and I've seen so many branch managers as we've had very just open conversations about this, 
make some real headway is that we think of it in terms of a continuum. So on the very left side of this line is perfectionism. And if you want to move away from that, you're moving to the right side of the continuum, which is achievement. And so how far can you leave perfectionism and continue to make headway and point towards achieving things? Um, that's how we think about it in terms of a spectrum, not a false binary concept of perfectionism opposite equals shoddy work. Mm -hmm. So it's would you say away from it? Yeah. So you can accomplish the same task on both spectrums. It's it's more of just how you're getting there or your motivation of getting there or it is. It yeah. comes back to the perfectionist must mm -hmm. succeed. Mm hmm. And when you have that must all mm -hmm. over you, that's where the inner critic comes in and that's where the criticality of others comes in. And you need something that success is going to give mm -hmm. you that is not embedded in achievement. And ironically, the more you focus on achievement, the more you get more done. Yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah. ironic part. You're it is freed ironic. up to be able to yeah. absolutely um, achieve more, which is what I've seen. It's not a Jedi mind trick where you've got to fake your mind out and do this. It's yeah. really, do I have to have this? And yeah. so that's where the continuum. Yeah. So person A in. and person B could accomplish the same thing. Yes. It's just that person A would at the end of the accomplishment say, I could have done it better. At least I did it better than everybody else. At least, or, you know, it's just, uh, I didn't do it exactly right. Yes. Or, you know, and then the person B on the achievement side would say, well, that was, that was good. I got that done. I, I achieved that. I accomplished this task. Good. Okay. Right. Yep. It's, it's that not exactly wrapped right. up into this exactly right. need and this must. And it's like an identity uh, issue almost too of just, this is who I am. I, I do everything, you know, top notch. I, I do it the best way, the right way. Um, this is the way instead of there's, you know, three, four or five ways this could have been done. And, you know, it's more of just, yep. a, a, you know, kind of beating yourself up for maybe not doing every single part of it exactly right. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that that finds a lot of um, a lot of our friends and a lot of the people we know. I think that finds them on the scale of perfectionism somewhere where they can make mm -hmm. headway and fight for joy mm -hmm. in this, mm -hmm. even if they're not OCD. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. when they don't have the OCD tendencies, that doesn't mean that it, just because um, you brush your teeth one way versus a different way doesn't mean that you're a perfectionist or not. Mm -hmm. um, you could be on this continuum, and you probably are mm -hmm. if you've got some of these telltale signs that we, yeah. that we went through. All That's right, good. so we have hit then what perfectionism is. Next, we'll go into why do we need to break it? Why do we need to break off the continuum from the left-hand side and make headway towards the right, towards achievement. Um, so here's four, four things that are at uh, stake. We've already actually covered a couple of these, so I'm just going to put some words to them and just rip them off one to four. Number one, why do we need to break it? Because it's miserable to have a loud inward critic that is true. <laughs> we know mm -hmm. we don't measure up. We know we set high expectations. We know we don't make it. And the inner critic is there to remind you that you didn't do it. Hmm. And so this, this is just not sustainable. This inner misery um, is a reason to break out of perfectionism and to get to achievement. Mm -hmm. 
Number two, perfectionists oftentimes give up what they love. Hmm. They haven't wrestled with the question like, why am I dreading this? Um, is it my own pressure to accomplish something extraordinary? Like yesterday was great and I got to do this and this task even better and I can't tomorrow. And so I don't know if I really want to do that anymore. And you, you find less joy in things and you're your own worst enemy. And so you end up giving up a lot of the things that you love. Hmm. Um, I think that's another reason why it's important to break perfectionism and move to achievement. Hmm. Number three, and this one's, and this one's rough. You live in a facade that keeps this truth from others. Hmm. You come across like you can set perfect high expectations and meet them. And you're not coming across genuine because you know in your heart you're not being transparent and you're not being authentic to others. You're hiding that from others. You're hiding the fact. I mean, nobody likes to hang their dirty laundry out there, but you, you also can't live an authentic lifestyle if you're hiding the fact that you know what? I did set this expectation too high and I'm not going to lie to others that I actually did it or I actually mm -hmm. got it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and so I think you need, if, if you're going to live an authentic life with others, I think you got to get, I think you got to get some, some headway on that. Mm -hmm. um, if the inner critic in, inside is making you miserable, that's probably not what you're portraying on the outside. Um, and that's not, um, that's not being authentic mm. and you live in this facade that I can just show people that I'm living right, even though I'm not, mm. and I'm not doing what I set out to do. Mm. Number would, four, would you say real quickly yeah. on that? Would you say that that leads to some shame as well then? Because sure. if you, I mean, you're right, nobody wants to hang their dirty laundry, but I would say a perfectionist really doesn't want to. <laughs> yeah. And so you are not right. presenting your true self to the world and there, there's gotta be a level of just kind of a inner shame as yeah. well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, and I think there's this aspect too, where the world and other people that you are with, if you're highly successful, they'll put you on a pedestal and they'll be like, I can never do that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, all right, if you only knew uh, how miserable I am on the inside and that I haven't done this when you're not looking, mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. that's where the, that's where the misery and the shame and the inauthentic lifestyle comes from. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And I think you're, you're almost feeling like I need to portray that I'm happy all the time because look at all that I have accomplished, um, or look at all, you know, where I'm at in life. And yet I'm not inner, I'm not inwardly happy, but I need to act like I am. And right. you know, that's kind of where that dread and misery comes in right. that you're talking about. Um, people that are perfectionists, um, can really have a level of, like you said, depression and unhappiness and yet, um, <laughs> want to yeah. portray to the world that yeah. they've got, you know, they're just taking life, you know, by the horns and, yeah. and succeeding. Yeah. yeah Number four. And, and finally, uh, just in this list of four of why perfectionism is not sustainable and you need to make headway to the right to achievement is that you'll be miserable on those you love around you. Hmm. Um, they will feel in constant critique of you. You will come across as a judge of others. You see yourself always on the right side of the bell curve. Hmm. Um, there's this sense that you're always looking down your nose at others because you have had success. And why can't other people just work hard 
and have success. And so they feel that people feel that Mm -hmm. and you can't live in community with people and in marriage. If you're making the other person miserable because they're not living up to your expectation that you can't even do yourself. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I think, I think the bell curve is an interesting way to, to, to talk about it. It's, it's a way of saying you are mostly better than the average person in key areas. Mm. And most people know from school about the bell curve because you can still get an A plus on a paper with getting a 71% grade out of, um, a hundred. If you don't get all hundred, right, you can still get an A plus with a C score at 71%. How can you get an A, an A plus? Because the median or the average person in the class uh, scored somewhere around 35% out of 100. Um, and it just shows relative value to others uh, of attaining a certain standard. Hmm. And y- you are able to, as a highly functioning perfectionist, you're able to live to the right of that bell curve in a lot of places in your life. And people feel that and you look down on them I've looked down on them and um, other people um, feel that and that puts a lot of pressure on mm-hmm. them to succeed at higher levels and then to try harder and give up. Um, and ultimately this, this comes down, down to pride. And in, in, instead of looking at the world between those at the right of the bell curve that are doing things good and those that are on the left side of the bell curve doing things poorly or not as well, mm-hmm. Um, God divides us not between humans, but between us and him. Mm. He divides us vertically. And that's some of our way out of this when we start to understand that. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But those are just four, mm-hmm. those are just four mm-hmm. ways that come to mind on why it's important to make headway out of yeah. this. Yeah. And I think it gets back to, you know, being authentic because like you said, even in a family, in a relationship, in a marriage um, with your kids, I mean, if you are not making headway in this, you're not making progress in this, um, they're going to, your relationships around you are going to feel it. And at work as well. I mean, it's like you said, it's, it eventually becomes a pretty isolating thing to struggle with because people don't want to be around you. They don't feel like they can meet your expectations or ever do things as good as you are able to do it. Yeah. And I think it helps you, you know, as you've made progress, it has helped you to become, you know, a a more compassionate and graceful dad. And um, not that you ever were a critic of our kids, but you know, you're not a driver. You're not a critic. You're, you enjoy our kids. And I feel that as your wife too. I mean, as you've made progress and turned from perfectionism to achievement and from discontentment and and dread to um to rest and joy in life I'm better able as your wife to thrive and to feel like you are enjoying me and loving me instead of pushing me and criticizing me and again not that you ever did that but it's just that I felt you feel being unsatisfied with life in general and your ability to do everything perfectly in general. Um, And so I just feel like we've been able to enjoy life so much more together. And I just, I feel your contentment in all facets of our life, including our marriage and, um, and you know, how you view me as, as your wife, not as a project or not as a duty or not as a way to prove how good of a husband you can be to me. But 
as you keep doing the work, we keep experiencing more and more richness in our relationship and freedom in our relationship. And I think too, another sign as you were sharing that kind of jumped out to me too, is can you laugh at yourself? How mm, I, I are you taking that. yourself so seriously yeah, that you've, you've helped me with that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, <laughs> that's been a practical way that I have seen you made pro- make progress yeah. uh, in our home and in our marriage and as a family is you know, you've been able to not take yourself so seriously. Everything isn't dependent upon, um, upon you know, people's words over you or trying to joke here or there. It's you're able to not take it so seriously and um, and realize, yeah, maybe I I don't do everything perfectly, or maybe I do have some quirks, or maybe this is kind of goofy that I do it this way. And that's it's not um, a critic. It's not a criticism of you as a person. It's just it's just you know a a funny way that maybe you do yeah, it. And, right. and I think when you were in the depths of perfectionism, it, mm. you kind of took that as, um, as criticism. Yeah, I didn't like it. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. Keep going. Okay. So now for the, uh, extremely fun part, um, nine ways I got out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we make headway in perfectionism? These are nine things that I wrote down that have been extremely beneficial and extremely helpful in making headway again, leaving perfectionistic tendencies and getting into achievement. Number one, embrace being human. Human by definition means limits and limits are not sin. Hmm. This is what finitude means. This is being, being finite. This is not being infinite like God um, who always was and who always is and always is uh, to come. And this is where Ken Wright started with me too. And he blew my mind. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I don't like being human. I want to be better than I am. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, what um, what on earth? And I think Kelly Capic, we've mentioned his book a number of times on this. Um, and I think he's been really helpful in some of the things that he's written, uh, particularly on this finitude topic you're only human is his uh, book and he makes the great case in scripture that human beings were made dependent dependent upon god dependent upon one another and dependent upon um, the earth mm-hmm. the uh, nature and even before in the garden of eden even before sin entered um, we were created wholly dependent upon god we weren't independent beings um, we were dependent upon one another and we were dependent upon the earth and even after the fall remember the way that christ redeems this whole thing is by valuing human flesh enough to take it on Hmm. and he's still in human flesh today and he totally says yes and amen over our humanity and over this material world and he became human flesh. And so there's this aspect of if you want to break perfectionism, you've got to understand that you're human and being human means you have limits and you don't have to confess those. Hmm. You don't have to ask for forgiveness of those. Um, That's what it means to be created as dependent upon God. You weren't built to be independent from him or from others or from this world. Hmm. Um, And so I think, I think that was, um, that was what was um, very, very helpful for me just mm-hmm. on the human standpoint. I love that. He, his writing and his work has been so um, helpful for you, even in just these last couple of years since we have become familiar with him. And I'm really, really grateful for 
uh, his influence on your life in this. Yeah. Number two, and this one, in some ways you could argue should have been my first one, but I love starting with the fact of pre-fall, we were meant to be dependent. So Mm -hmm. number two on this, on this list though, is a really, really big one. You got to move away from the functional savior to a real savior. Mm -hmm. And so here's, here's what I mean by that. Remember when we said the, the, the telltale signs of a perfectionist is this must category. I must win. I must get this job. You can't get this job. I must get promoted on this ladder over you. I have to win. I have to get this. And perfectionism folks see getting purpose in life as a self-salvation project. We're saved from weightlessness. We're saved from not mattering if our life has purpose and our life doesn't have purpose if we don't get stuff done. And we're looking for, we're looking for purpose. We're looking for meaning. We're looking for our life to be enough um, by what we do and what we accomplish. And therefore, because it's tied to purpose, it's a must. I must get this promotion. Otherwise my life has no value. And what Christ holds out to us is that we find our meaning in who he says I am and how he values me as adopted into his family. Like that's where my purpose and my weightiness comes from. Mm. I am adopted into his family. I I am forgiven of my sins and transgressions and not measuring up from a moral standard that I could never get to in these different areas. I'm forgiven. I don't have to in Christ, I don't have to carry this crushing backpack of guilt hmm. and of shame and of never measuring up anymore. I literally can have the feeling and the knowledge and the know-how that my heavenly father delights over me because that's what it says. Hmm. That's what it says in God's hmm. God's word. So I'm, I'm saved from the work un, under the work instead of me going to work every day at the bank, trying to make a name for myself so that I can become someone that has meeting and I got to win. I can make work be just about the work. Mm. And I'm freed from this idea that I love Tim Keller talking about it. I'm freed from the work under the work. Mm-hmm. I don't need, mm-hmm. I don't need this project to complete at an A plus level because then I am somebody. I already am somebody today because of what God has to say in his words over me. Hmm. Um, I, I think, you know, one of my favorite um, talking points on this one is Isaiah 56, five. And I'll try to say this again without crying. This is the verse that while we waited at the gravesite for the rain to kind of stop when we were burying Jackson and Jackson's friends were by the gravesite and not everybody had showed up yet. I had, Isaiah 56, five come Hmm. as a verse that I've loved for quite some time. And I was able to just share from scripture and from my heart to these, these boys that said this, this is what the verse says. I will give in my house. This is God speaking. I will give within my house and within my walls, a monument and a name better than the ones that sons and daughters can give you. Hmm. I will give them will give them an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. Hmm. And so what I got and what I get from my maker and creator is nothing 
like hmm. Jackson could have given me. Mm-hmm. It's better than what Jackson could have ever given me. I know a lot of parents live through their kids' successes, but what if you had this everlasting name already given to you that it says it can't be cut mm-hmm. off? Mm-hmm. Then when your son dies, it's it's awful, but it doesn't have to put you in the ground next because now your life is never going to be made better because your son is never going to make a name for you. He was never built for that. Mm. The everlasting name is what I've been given mm. now. Mm. Oh. So that's a that's a real personal one. It is. It is. It's a very personal one for you, for our family. And and I would add too, you know, you said if your son ends up in the grave, but if your son doesn't and you I mean you, then he <laughs> he or point. she is free to live without Amen. that pressure and that crushing, Amen. you know, pressure to to be the name uh, for the parent or to, to figure out a way to make a name for themselves because that's what they have seen, you know, modeled. And so, yeah, what a, a core key uh, foundational belief and truth to wrap your head around. Um, and that was a very powerful moment at the gravesite, but it yeah. has been very personal for us in the years following too to just continue to remember that we have a, an everlasting name. Amen. Yeah. So I think this functional savior concept in this point can be interesting for certain people. And I think what all that we mean by that is, yes, we know that Jesus came to earth and he died for our sins and it counts for me if I believe in him. Great. But I still need purpose in life and I'm still going to I'm still going to walk over you to get that promotion, or I'm still going to make my kid go out for these sports because I need meaning and satisfaction because I need purpose. Okay. Yes. It's fine that Jesus saved me from my sins. Great. But that's what I'm functionally using as a savior is my hard work and success in order to feel good about myself. Hmm. And that means Jesus as savior is not enough. Hmm. And one of the things common for a perfectionist who is a believer and is a Christian is that they can believe that God has forgiven them, but they won't have forgiven themselves. And their standards are so high that they can't stand the fact that God forgives them because I don't know if I could. And if I can, how can God do it? And I believe that God did it, but I'm just not mm-hmm. going to forgive myself for messing up. I'm not going to forgive myself for doing this. And so that's where the functional savior piece comes in as mm-hmm. well. And Jesus mm-hmm. says, no, 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 no. I paid for that and I have forgiven that. And I love that you're human. Um, and the satisfaction and the purpose is in him and in following him. It is not mm-hmm. in these functional things that we run to that just cannot satisfy. Mm-hmm. One of the things that Kelly Capic says, and I, I have shared this a little bit before is that you, you ask the question, okay, if you believe that God loves you and that's a leap and that's, that's part of your faith journey and that's what scripture teaches (laughs) and that's what it means to know and, and follow Christ so much of that. But do you think he likes you? And this is a really hard one for a perfectionist Mm -hmm. because you don't even like yourself and you don't even like that you don't measure up to your expectations. And there is great evidence that we do not irk God Mm -hmm. anymore Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that 
and that mm-hmm. these things are taken care of and he actually likes us mm-hmm. and he delights over us. Mm-hmm. And as a follower of Christ, he's accepted us forever. And by his Holy Spirit's faithful work in our lives, he is transforming how I act and how I think um, and how I feel so that how I was originally wired to be and meant to be can be free to find that reflection in his way that resembles how his son moves in this world Hmm. and moved in this world. Um, He is not pleased only with some future version of me and putting up with me today in disgust. He is not only pleased because he sees Jesus and behind Jesus where I'm hiding, he plugs his nose. That's just not true. Hmm. He loves me now unconditionally And the burden and the weight of my guilt and shame and sin of not measuring up to his moral standards has been forgiven. Mm -hmm. I have his pleasure over me. And that's that to me, um, this moving away on point, point number two, this moving away from having a functional savior that can't do anything for you to a real savior who can, Mm -hmm. that's, that's made a tremendous impact. Yes, it has. And I don't know how it could not. I mean, just hearing you share all of that, it's like, well, yes, of course you would live with so much more joy and freedom and, um, you know, just a a lighter version of yourself if you could truly believe um, these things are, are true. And I think that's where having, you know, God called our Heavenly Father helps as well, too, as we think about parenting. I mean, we don't we don't just love our children when they do everything exactly right. In fact, we draw closer to them when they are struggling. And that's right. so it's a good reminder that's that a great reminder. not only, you know, do you have, you know, his pleasure um, and his delight, but when you are struggling, uh, when you are doubting and um, feeling like, how could he forgive me when I can't forgive myself? How can he like like me when I don't like myself? Some of those questions to be reminded of, you know, us with our own kids of when we are, when we see them struggling, when we see them fall, when we see them asking the questions and, and hurting. And I mean, that's when we draw close. And so even in our relationship with the Lord, we do not need to um, try to attain this unhealthy, impossible version of perfectionism. I mean, we need to come to him broken and and dependent. Um, And I think this point number two has just been huge for you. I just want to remind you that I am still partnering with Faithful Counseling this season to help bring you quality online Christian counseling. Use my code at faithfulcounseling.com slash fightingforjoy. You will find out more there and receive 10% off. I can't say it enough, but quality counseling is a worthy investment. Such a powerful tool in the fight for joy in the midst of this broken world. Again, check it out at faithfulcounseling.com slash fightingforjoy. Or just send me a message and I will get you the direct link. Thank you so much for listening today. If you were helped or encouraged by this episode, please share it with others. I would also love for you to find me on social media. You can connect with me and others who are listening on my Fighting for Joy podcast page on either Facebook or Instagram. You can also send me an email at fightingforjoypodcast at gmail.com. Podcasts have been such a lifeline for me in grief 
and one of the top ways that my soul is recharged and encouraged on a weekly basis. I truly hope that this podcast will do the same for you. Keep fighting for joy.